Our scripture this morning is 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God for us, the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. May God bless the reading of and the hearing of his word. Good morning. How's everybody? Everybody ready for Christmas? No. No. Usually at Christmas time, our family gets together, and our family is all spread out. Uh, we're up here in Massachusetts. My parents and my both brothers and their families are in Pennsylvania. My husband's family is in western Pennsylvania and in South Carolina and North Carolina. It's all over the place. So um, we don't get to see Tom's side of the family very often, but we do usually try to see my parents and my brothers and their families. And when we get together, it's kind of crowded. Yeah, we all try to stay at one house, and um, we end up with 
Brian ends up on an air mattress. My niece ends up sometimes on the floor or on another air mattress or, you know, we're just everybody sharing everybody's bed. My poor nephew, he always gets slumped out of his nice comfortable bed that we get. Uh, ben sometimes is on a cot or in bed with mom and dad. Yeah. Um, and it, it's kind of it's fun, but it's also kind of hard because what happens if the other people that are visiting need to stay overnight too? There's no more room. It gets awfully crowded. And that made me think about Mary and Joseph. Um, they had a long journey from, to Bethlehem. They had to go from their home in Nazareth to Bethlehem. And it took them about nine days. That's a long walk, even if you have a donkey to ride. I don't know if any of you have ever ridden a donkey, but I've not, but I've ridden a horse. I don't think I'd want to ride a horse for nine days, let alone a donkey. Um, but I did also bring something with me that's kind of something from my childhood. Um, have any of you ever seen one of these? It's an advent calendar. And we always had them when I was little. And each day we would open a door and we'd see what was behind the door. So let's see. Oh, here's a door. Let's see what's on this one. Oh, presents. How many of you have done all your shopping? <laughs> have you wrapped it all yet? Oh, okay, I'm sending mine to you. All right, let's see what else we have. Let's see what's behind this door. Oh, flowers. Did you remember to send flowers to people? Right in the day? No? All right. How about this door? Oh, here we go. Cocoa and candy canes. How many times do we have time to sit down and just drink a cup of cocoa? So many times, I, oh, you have time to do that? Good. Well, you know, there's so many things that keep us busy. Oh, here's skiing. Anybody been skiing yet this year? You just have done it all. How about over here? Oh, Christmas tree. Yours up yet? Mine's still not. And over here, we have stockings. Are your stockings hung for St. Nicholas to put the coins down the chimney? Our stockings are up. Well, each day you would open something. Oh, here's the elves with some more presents for those last minute people that you forgot to buy for. Every day was a door to open. And that's sort of like what they do in Mexico. Now we've been to Germany, we've been to Turkey, we've been to Sweden the last three weeks. This week we're going to Mexico. I'm ready for some warm weather. Yeah. In Mexico, they have a tradition called La Posada. La Posada. And it's the journey to Bethlehem. And so the children start out and they'll carry a, a Mary and a Joseph, or they might dress like Mary and Joseph. And they'll go from door to door in their neighborhood and they'll knock on the door. And the person, when they open the door, they ask if there's room and the person says, no room. So the people in that house join the children and they go to the next house and they knock on that door. Any room? No room. Those people join the train and eventually you have the whole town. Everybody's got no room until you get to the last door. And at the last door, which is often the church, or it might be somebody's home, they find the baby Jesus. And so there is room. 
there. And everybody then has a big celebration. And it made me think about all the stuff that I still have to do to get ready for Christmas. Christmas is going to happen, whether I'm ready or not. It doesn't matter if my tree is up. It doesn't matter if my gifts are wrapped. It doesn't even matter if they're bought. It doesn't matter if I bake cookies or anything else. It matters what's in my heart. Is there room in my heart for baby Jesus, for Jesus, period? So what I need to do is get rid of all the busyness, all the things I worry about. Are my lesson plans done for January? Are my grades done? Are this and that done? Is my house clean? Are the Christmas cards mailed? It doesn't matter. Christmas is going to happen. Am I going to be ready? Are you going to be ready? Advent calendars help us count down the days. There aren't very many left. Let's get our hearts receive Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are patient with us. We thank you that you love us, even when we are so busy and so preoccupied with all the things that we think are important. Help us to make room in our lives for the true reason that we celebrate this season. Help us to remember that Jesus is the reason why we are even getting together with family and friends and buying gifts and all that. Help us to remember that Jesus' love is what's most important. In his name we pray. Amen. Lord, thanks for this opportunity to dig into your word again and to hear from you. We ask that you will help me to speak clearly and think clearly and that you will help all of our ears and our hearts to be open to understand what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, let's see, there's not a lot of kids here today. Tommy and Maddie, are you guys on vacation yet? No? Okay. I thought we might do some, we might do a quiz in case you were already on vacation, but we'll just do a quiz. Anyway, this is a, <laughs> this is a true and false quiz. Um, some of you may know the answer to these, or, and some of you may learn something new about Central Baptist Church. Uh, so, true or false, Central Baptist Church is 220 years old. <laughs> Ray, Ray, maybe pause a little bit, so. <laughs> uh, okay, yes, that is true. And if I had thought about that at the beginning of the year, we might have had some kind of celebration, but I guess I'm five more so we can do a big party when it's 225 anyway uh true true or false this is central baptist church's original building false what happened to the other one it burned down that's right um true or false our building is built on top of a giant boulder <laughs> how do we know this because you can, the, the floor is curved and you can actually see part of the rock if you go into the basement. Um, this building has an upper level even above and beyond this sanctuary and balcony. That is very close. 
I've never been up there. I really want to go, though, if we get a good ladder. <laughs> um, there's also a couple little rooms, or a little room back up there. Sort of cool. Um, last one. This Baptist sanctuary was designed by an Episcopalian. Well, the, either. It's the same. It's true. All right. So how do we know the answer to these questions? <laughs> Did she say pray? Oh. <laughs> History, but how do we know that? Records, it gets passed down. Some of the stuff we can find out for ourselves, right? We can go down into the basement or we can climb up the staircases or ask Ray, exactly. Great. So it would be possible, though, for someone to come in here and say and give you some wrong information about this church. And maybe if you didn't know, you wouldn't know. However, it doesn't really matter because it's not these are not life or death issues. Right. But they're they're interesting. And it's kind of nice to know a little bit about our church. Uh, but they but they're not life or death. However, in the passage that Bernice read for us today, the Apostle John, or John and Matthew, Mark, and Luke are usually called the evangelists. So John the evangelist versus John the Baptist, um, he wrote three letters, which are in the back of the Bible before Revelation. And in those letters, but especially in 1 John, he is combating, trying to combat some false teachings that were starting to sneak into the church. This isn't really that long after Jesus has gone back to heaven and already people are starting to take the gospel and twist it around a little bit. And the error that John is writing against um, got more full-fledged a century or two later, but it's, it's already starting in the time of John. He's writing to churches, trying to warn them, don't let these false spirits and these false teachers confuse you. So it's interesting the way he writes in this particular chapter. The, the error that he's writing against ends up being called Gnosticism. You might have heard it. It's still something that um, there are people who identify as Gnostics even today, but there are elements of Gnosticism that have gotten um, absorbed by different denominations or cultures within the church throughout church history too. So it, it hasn't really gone away. And so this is still really relevant to us for our time because we have to learn to test the spirits too. It's interesting how John writes about it because he talks about spirits and he talks about false prophets and it's kind of unclear if he's talking about people versus spirits or really one thing and probably because there are some spiritual forces that are influencing people to um, to basically uh, parasitize the gospel. You know what a parasite is? Yeah, you, you do know what parasites are. So I actually, this was not in, intended, but I started reading a book this week um, which is about, it's actually about racism, but the author, J. Cameron Carter, 
makes the point that Gnosticism is actually the problem underlying racism, among other things. And he uses this term. He says Gnosticism takes the truth of the gospel and is like a parasite on it. So there are true things within it, but it, it eats it and it twists it and it distorts it and does to the gospel what the serpent in the Garden of Eden did to God's command about the tree. Just tweak it a little, cast a little doubt on it, ends up making this big, huge error, this big, huge mess, this big, huge sin. So I have one more true-false question for you. This is not specifically about Central Baptist Church. True or false, love is the power behind the universe. True, okay. So this is the fourth Sunday of Advent. Um, the, the idea for, the, for this Sunday is love, but we also, Karen read about the angel. This is also the angel candle. Um, this Sunday also focuses often on Mary. Um, but love is the overarching theme. So somebody define love for me. <laughs> okay, that's a part of it. Maybe. I mean, you could give and not really love Okay, it could be something you feel. Respect, that's getting there. Helping. Okay, that's a really good one. Putting someone's needs ahead of my own, even if it costs me something. Love is a little hard to define, isn't it? But did you notice something about all of those? Well, Here's a question. This is a yes or no question. Is it possible for love to exist outside of relationships? It is. Yeah, and is that the same thing that we're talking about? Is loving your car the force behind the universe? Okay. You don't necessarily know everybody, but love is still personal, right? You don't, this kind of love that we're talking about, that's the force behind the universe, is not something that can just kind of happen in general. There has to be an object, right? Yeah, a person being an object in this case. There has to be something out there to love. If you don't, if there's nothing, you can't, there's, there's nothing to love. Love needs something, an object. Okay, so sometimes when you go out into the world and you're talking to people who are spiritual, but maybe they're not Christians or um, they're, it depends, but they're spiritual, they might talk, instead of saying God, they might talk about the divine or they might talk about the universe and they kind of personalize it a little bit, but not exactly. It's kind of vague. And these, there might be a place for these terms um, when sometimes in specific situations when we're actually trying to share about Jesus with people, 
it's helpful to use terms that are a little less loaded than Jesus. To start off, the Apostle Paul does this in Acts. He notices in Athens that there's a statue to an unknown god, and he's like, well, there's a concept that they already have, so I'm going to take this concept and I'm going to build on it. And we can do that with words like the divine and the universe, but those are not great places to land forever because they're super vague and they don't communicate that God is actually personal. The only reason that we can say that love is the power behind the universe, or even, as John says at the end of today's passage, that God is love, is because God is a trinity. The trinity is really hard to explain, and I don't fully understand it, and I think if any of us could, we then it probably wouldn't be true, because God is bigger than our brains. Um, but it's super important. The concept of the Trinity is super important. God is one entity who exists in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the reason that's important is because there is love. God is love because God, there is love within God's self. The three persons of the Trinity love each other. This is maybe not the right way to talk about it, but I don't think we have English that works. <laughs> so... There is already love within God. This is why God is love, and this is why love is the power behind the universe, because God is the power behind the universe, and God, in God's self, is a love, loving entity. And all of creation is an expression of God's love. God's love within God's self is so much who God is that it overflows and creates things. Creation is an act of love. Love does not work or exist as an abstract. And that's why, and so God doesn't either. And this is why John the Apostle tells us to test the spirits by discerning whether they recognize that Jesus Christ was actually born as a human. And then immediately after that, he goes on to talk about love, loving each other, loving God, and God loving us, and God being love. So, if it's also Angel Sunday, what role do angels play in this whole love thing? They actually are not as greatly connected to love as, say, the shepherds were to joy, or um, John the Baptist was to peace, but they do announce the arrival of love to the shepherds. They participate in the love of God. Angels are also part of creation. So they are also formed out of love. But they're not the source of love, as sometimes our popular culture fiction stories like to portray. Um, and they are not the primary vehicles of love. The, first, the beginning of the book of Hebrews actually makes a big deal about how Jesus is greater than Jesus is not an angel, he's not on the same plane as an angel, he's not the same kind of being as, as the angels. Um, and in today's passage, the angels that we see are these spirits that are giving false information about the good news. So there are fallen angels that actually oppose this idea that Jesus Christ is in the flesh. Something about the created physical order seems to be offensive 
to some of the spiritual beings also created by God. And humans are the most offensive part because we were created in God's image. We, were, we are physical entities created in God's image. And we are supposed to be the vehicle in this physical plane of God's love. And something about that is offensive to some of these spiritual beings. We are both physical and spiritual on purpose. We were intentionally created by God as hybrid or maybe amphibious beings to translate spiritual reality into the physical world and physical reality into the spiritual world, infusing all of it with the love of God. And the demons or devils or whatever you want to call them are so offended and so disgusted by us that they have spent all of human history trying to mess it up. And they do this usually in one of two ways. They either try to make us obsess about our physical realities to the neglect of our spiritual realities. So we just, all we care about is money and our, our clothes and our cars and what we have and whether we look a certain way and all of those things and we forget about our spiritual lives or they make us so heavenly minded we're no earthly good we don't care about the world we damage it we destroy it we just we don't help people we just spend all our time and our minds and we ignore the physical reality the incarnation No, that's reincarnation. Uh, incarnation is what we use, the word we use to describe what happened when God became a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. So the incarnation is God saying, look, you spirit flesh beings that I made in my image, this is important. These two things need to be merged. And God merged them in himself. But because God merged the spiritual and the physical in himself, and these other spiritual entities don't like our physical realm, how do you think that went over? Not good. And this is why, all of a sudden, there are these churches that are having this problem that John is writing to, saying, look, test the spirits. If they're telling you that Jesus did not come in the flesh, they're not from God. They are anti-Christ. They are against the Christ. They are against the reality of the spiritual and physical merger that God himself participated in. After John's period of time, these arguments really ramped up in the church regarding what exactly Jesus was. Was he a spirit who just appeared human? He kind of looked, maybe he was like a hologram or something. He looked human, but he wasn't. That's what John is writing against here. But then there was the other side. Maybe he was a special human, and God just was like, oh, that guy, I really like that guy. Okay, so he can be part of the Godhead now after he was crucified, we raised him back to life, and then and now he's part of God. But he, he didn't start out that way. He didn't always exist. The third option is 
that God, that Jesus was actually fully God forever and actually fully human from now on, that Jesus is flesh and blood God. This is how God shows that he is love. This is how God showed that love is his essence, that love is his glory, that love is the power behind the universe, that love is always relational and personal, even within God, God's self. God got specific. Love has shape. Love has a human shape. God, who is spirit, made humankind in his image God, who is spirit, got himself a body in our image. But he got even more specific than that. He got himself a male body, conceived in and born through a female body. He got himself a Jewish body, a refugee body, a body that was a member of a captive, oppressed people group, a body in a specific time in history. And you might think, and Gnosticism might want us to think, that if that's true, if this was, if Jesus, if God got that specific, that rules out all the other types of human bodies there are. But actually, it's the opposite. Because God got himself a specific body in a specific time period, in a specific part of the world, specific socioeconomic, demographic, political situation, religious, everything, this demonstrates that all of us who have different types of bodies than his, which is all of us at least on the basis of location and time, <laughs> this demonstrates that the love of God, God's glory, and the power behind the universe is specific for each one of us in our own specific body. Love has shape. So Mary's song plays in here. Mary actually sings, before Jesus is even born, she sings a song, a poem, it's in Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to read it from, there's a new translation that I don't think is even finished, but it's called the Passion Translation, and they did have this one ready. And I'm just going to read it because she is describing God's, God's love, which expresses itself in justice and mercy and righteousness, and how it specifically plays out in, human, in the human realm. She says, my soul is ecstatic, overflowing with praises to God. My spirit bursts with joy over my life-giving God, for he set his tender gaze upon me, his lowly servant girl. From here on, everyone will know that I have been favored and blessed. The Mighty One has worked a mighty miracle for me. Holy is his name. Mercy kisses all who fear him from one generation to the next. Mighty power flows from him to scatter all those who walk in pride. Powerful princes he tears from their thrones, and he lifts up the lowly to take their place. Those who hunger for him will always be filled, but the smug and self-satisfied he will send away empty because he can never forget to show mercy. He has helped his chosen servant, Israel, keeping his promises to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And the power behind the universe, who is love, 
which is to say, who is personal, takes on a human shape. The spiritual and the human forces of empire that we've been talking about all year start shaking in their boots. These two, the spiritual and the physical, rejoined in God because love is the force of righteousness and justice. Love is the spiritual force behind the physical acts of righteousness and justice in the world. When Mary says, powerful princes, he tears from their thrones and he lifts up the lowly to take their place, that's what she's talking about. She says, those who hunger for him will always be filled. Ooh, that sounds Jesus sounds like his mom. Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So John's argument in this letter kind of runs like this. Jesus is God come in the flesh. Love comes from God. Love your brother. A lot of times people say this, maybe you've said this, somebody said it to me again this week. God seems to do things differently now than he did in the Old Testament. Maybe they're two different gods. Have you heard this before? Really? Wow. Okay, I hear it all the time. <laughs> maybe that's my friend. Um, in a sense, that's true. God has not changed. But in the Old Testament, God would minister to his people through one or two chosen individuals at any given time. God was not indwelling people, even the, the members of his chosen people with his Holy Spirit. He wasn't indwelling individuals. After God became a man, his spirit inhabits anyone who freely chooses to follow him. And so the way we fight our spiritual battles is different from the way they did we are now because in Christ our spirits and our flesh are becoming more joined we are now able to fight most of our battles inwardly on a spiritual plane because our battle is really not against flesh and blood but against the rulers and principalities and powers against this dark world that's in Ephesians 6 But that God's spirit in it, so God's spirit in us allows us to fight those battles inwardly, together still, but inwardly, but also enables God to continue loving his creation through humans, not just through his own human body, the body of Jesus anymore, but our human bodies and our human spirits as we become more and more like him, as we follow him. Love still has shape still John says dear friends let us love one another for love comes from God everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God you start to take on the family resemblance whoever does not love does not know God because God is love this calls us back reminds us when he says, this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Jesus showed up in the flesh at Christmas. 
and he still shows up in specific human flesh that is open to being inhabited by the power in the universe. Love. In your life and in my life. In your spirit and my spirit. In your flesh and in my flesh. If we will have him. This is how God showed his love among us, John says. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Also, he might live through us. Lord, it is an honor and kind of even too big to contemplate, but also awesome to contemplate that you sacrificed yourself not only to death on the cross but first to get specific in a human body at a specific time in a specific people group in a specific place so that all people who follow you in our specific times and bodies and places can live your life in our context so that you can regain your rule and your kingdom come 